Welcome to CII Radio. I'm Vivian Cameron, Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Manager for the Chartered Insurance Institute. In this episode, I'll be talking to Marcella McLean and Rob Adediran. In this episode of the podcast, we are reflecting on the Diving Festival with a focus on the CI session, which looked at future-proof building and sustaining an inclusive organisation. I'm joined by Marcella McLean, Chief Human Resources Officer at Arch International, and Rob Adediran, Head of Consulting at Included. Here is my conversation with Marcella and Rob. Hello to you both. And thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today. Hi, Vivian. Good to be here. Thank you. Hi, Vivian. Really good to be here. Great to have you with us today. And firstly, I'm going to turn to Marcella. Looking back at the CI's local sponsor hosted session, it started with some sector data on equality, diversity, inclusion or EDI. So, for example, uh, we shared that women typically have few years in the profession, uh, looking at the working population against uh, those working in the profession. And another example was that the sector appears to be more ethnically diverse than the UK working population, with a focus on a higher proportion of black and mixed ethnicities. So, was there anything in those uh, statistics, in that data that you found surprising at all? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, it was great to see those stats up in the session. And the most surprising thing for me was that when you look at actual data, it tells a more positive story than I think we often tell within the sector ourselves. And it, it looked like an even split between male and females in both technical and supporting roles, which is positive. Uh, when you look at the gender split by tenure, um, I know it looked like you know women had a, a lesser tenure than men. But for, for me, I, I thought, well, more people are coming into the profession, you know, in recent times. So I saw that as a positive. I think the most interesting and, and surprising um, piece of data that you had there was that ethnically we are more diverse and we have a higher diversity rate in the insurance sector than the general working population. And again, you know, that's not often the picture that we paint or not often the story that we tell when we're telling our own story. And it's the reason why I think data is so important. And you absolutely have to consider your policies and practices in light of your working population. And on an even more granular level within that working population, you know, who are the people that have the skill sets and the qualifications that we need in the sector? So, again, it was great to see that data and really bringing to life a lot of what we're doing within, uh, definitely within Arch and I know across the whole industry. So um, where do you think there's the most room for improvement based on the data that we shared at this session? Well, you had some data in there where people had declared whether or not they had a condition or other illness. And I think we're definitely going to see more focus on how companies are adapting their work environments and now our home environment 
and making them accessible to people who do have conditions, whether they're physical, mental, behavioral. And that's a really big piece and a really big thing to consider because, you know, there can be so many implications depending on what the issues that people have and what they declare and what, what we know. So I definitely see that area as a big part of the evolution of our DEI policies and practices. Sure. And Rob, if we can bring you in, firstly, do you want to add anything to what Marcelo has said? And secondly, how can companies ensure that we're doing all we can to improve EDI? Really great questions. And I echo Marcella's optimism that we're seeing some good shifts in the data. That's such a good thing. And it's important to be people who share good news stories. So I, I love that. Uh, and it's really great to see. And it feels like an opportunity because it looks like we're seeing greater diversity in the sector, which is brilliant. And for me, the next question then is, so how can we understand the experience of those people in our workplaces? So we know that people with different diversity demographics will experience the workplace differently. So step one is driving that recruitment piece so we, we get more people and we're attracting diverse talent. But step two is really ensuring that our workplace culture enables people to thrive and that people are able to be present at work and, and do the jobs that they're brought in to do because they're able to be themselves. And sometimes we can miss that. We can feel like the job's done when our kind of diversity numbers are going up. But actually the second question in terms of data is what is our inclusion data like? And actually, for companies who are perhaps struggling to attract diverse talent, uh, I'd say don't worry about that too much for now. Why don't you focus on making your culture as inclusive as possible? Because A, that will be a big attraction point. But B, ethically, I think there's something we need to really think about when recruiting for diversity. We need to make sure that when we're bringing people into our organizations, our organization is ready to receive them so they have a really positive experience. And additional data that can help us understand people's experience if we don't have um, sophisticated inclusion data is things like turnover. What is the What are the rates of retention like when we look at people from different demographics? Are women coming in, they're attracted to the roles, but then they're leaving because their experience is poor? Are people from black and ethnic minority groups being attracted into industry? Great, really passionate about uh, insurance. Are they progressing at the same rate as their white counterparts? Can we see that in the data? And if not, why not? Sure. That, that's really insightful. Thank you. And um, Marcella, building on what Rob's just shared, is there anything else that companies, especially in the insurance profession, can do to improve EDI? Yes, absolutely. I think there's, there's lots that we can do. And I really echo and agree with uh, Rob's point around, you know, focusing less sometimes on demographics or characteristics of the people that you're wanting to attract and bring in. Um, because while that is important, the, the culture and the environment that people find themselves in when they get into your organisation is a big indicator of whether or not they will thrive, right? And i often found that regardless of um, characteristics or uh, the demographic that you think you fit into, if people have had a similar professional experience on a, you know, in a certain trajectory um, or they've had similar life experience, lived in similar areas, they often think or they can think and reason the, the, the same. So I think it's really about encouraging people who just think differently to you, regardless of what they look like or, you know, how they identify. I think it's important, you know, as a general 
point that people accept that we all have natural biases, natural inclinations. And I think that awareness is good and that should help us to then mitigate the impact of some of those biases. And again, we focus on creating an environment where we do encourage divergent views. We do encourage new ways of working. We focus on making our organizations a place where people feel safe to explore, safe to challenge, and safe to innovate. And I think that's really a, a key focus, focus around the culture and the work environment and the kind of safe to fail environment that you're creating. Great. And thanks for sharing that, Marcella. And, and that just leads really nicely into my question to Rob. During the session, you shared some case studies outside of the insurance profession. Do you mind sharing some of the key takeaways from a case study or two case studies that you shared? It's a prime example of how companies can improve EDI. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to share two ideas. Um, the first one builds nicely from what Marcellus just shared around divergent views. So one of the big wins for companies uh, with diversity is we get different perspectives, which helps make stronger decisions and all of those good things. And as a leader in an organization, I have to be open to accepting that difference, right? So it's one thing to say we want diversity in our organization, but there's a version of that which says, I want people who look and sound different and maybe went to a different type of school or were born in a different country, but I want them to think the same. I really like the way we think about things. I love the way we talk about things. It works for me. So I want people to be different on the outside, but essentially to conform to our culture and our way of doing things on the inside. And if that's the case, then you just don't get the benefits. So the challenge to leaders is how comfortable can I become with people who think differently to me and challenge my thinking? And how can I see that as a strength rather than something that makes me want to defend myself? Um, and Marcella touched on it uh, when she was talking about um, creating those, that safety, you know, that safety within which we can challenge one another, we can bring difference, um, that space where I feel like I can raise my voice and bring a different opinion without fear of being made to feel embarrassed if I make a mistake or that it's somehow going to harm my career if I'm challenging in the wrong way. So the first takeaway for me, for any people leaders or team leaders listening to the call, is how can I become comfortable with being challenged? Because diversity means difference. And one of those differences, different perspectives and different ideas, which will challenge the way you think. But that's a good thing. What's really important is how I, as a leader, respond when I hear that challenge. Because if I shut it down, if I get defensive, then no one else is going to bring a different perspective for the next six to 12 months. Right. And so we lose that opportunity. Um, but I also really recognize that for leaders, it's hard for us because we're there. We've got the vision. We've been put in this position to make decisions. If someone challenges me in a public setting, I can find that personally quite confronting. Um, it might pull some, push some triggers for me and make me feel kind of quite stressed and anxious. So reflecting on how we feel when we're confronted by challenge and difference as leaders is really important. Why did that particular um, person push a button for me? Why was that a trigger for me? Why did I respond in a way which was perhaps defensive or negative? How can I understand myself, my own positions, my own responses, so that next time I can respond in a more positive way and in a way that welcomes and attracts um, that, uh, that difference and those challenges? So that's the first thing. Think about how we as leaders respond to challenge. The second takeaway, um, which I see a lot in our work, 
which is really important that people don't always get how important it is, is thinking about governance and taking EDI governance and accountability seriously. Right. It doesn't sound fun. It's a little bit dry, but it's so essential. When we work with clients, um, we often see that there's a really good strategy in place, that they know what they want to do. There's a strong sense of direction. But if the governance isn't there, if the accountability for success isn't clear, then often those strategies will fail to deliver. So competing priorities um, changes in the business can mean that EDI work can just slip down the agenda. Right. And so governance and visibility of commitments can help us to safeguard that. And so thinking about um, what that looks like in practice, you know, there's something around when we think about good governance, we're often talking about a bottom up and a top down approach. So governance in our organization, you know, bottom up is ensuring that your employee networks are informing your decisions. Or if you work in a smaller organization, that there are mechanisms for you to hear from people from minoritized backgrounds, that you're accountable to people who are affected by your decisions or the decisions that you make. And top-down means that there's a powerful, visible, diverse body which has senior representation on it, which can hold leaders to account at all levels for delivering on those ambitious actions. I'm going to assume that leaders in our organizations have good intent, right? They want to drive change. But there's often a gap between our intentions and the actions that we're able to commit to and we can deliver. And governance really helps to narrow that gap between intention and action because it creates a visibility of what we're going to do and those structures which incentivize and encourage people to follow through on their actions. Right. That's really great and really helpful and insightful. So thank you for that. Um, so moving on and, and now turning within our own profession, Marcella, you shared a case study looking at how Arch was building a sustainable EDI approach. Could you or would you share that approach with us to provide a contrast to some of the things that Rob shared? Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, what Rob has just described is very much um, reflected and echoed in the approach that we took in speaking to other colleagues. I think there, there are a lot of uh, similarities there. So for us, we identified an opportunity to really embed DNI into our culture. I think the, the first um, agreement that we had uh, amongst business leaders, amongst our uh, you know, senior executive team, was that DNI is not a standalone thing. It's not, oh, he, here's the business, and then here's DNI on the side, and that uh, points to Rob's points there about you know governance. It has to be integrated into the business. For us, we said it has to be the way that we work. It has to be embedded into our talent processes, into how we're thinking about promotions, how we're thinking about opportunities. And really, I always say that my personal measure of whether my DNI strategy has become successful is when I no longer have it as a standalone strategy. And it really is the way we work, right? And, and the way we operate in thinking about being as broad and as inclusive as we possibly can. So that was the opportunity that we saw. We also saw an opportunity to focus specifically around our leadership team and helping them to develop inclusive leadership behaviours, because we understood that to be a really important driver of fostering safety, psychological safety, which then becomes that enabler of creativity and innovation, which I spoke about before. So our approach was to establish three core pillars 
of our strategy and I will just give a brief overview of them now. It's targeting core areas, ones that we knew we could be accountable for, that we could have you know, actual, visible, tangible um, deliverables from them. And again, you know, as Rob had said, leveraging a top down and bottom up approach. You need to have that executive level buy in. You need to have your senior leaders kind of demonstrating the behaviours, driving the change, reinforcing um, the attitudes that, that we want to see. But also you need to bring the business along. Right. And they need to feel part of that journey and part of the execution of this strategy. The first of our strategic pillars is colleagues. And that pillar is really saying that we want a workforce that reflects the communities in which we work and the markets we serve. And we know that there is great talent out there and we know that insurance is a great place to work. And that pillar is really about how can we attract the best people to come into the business? And once we attract them, how do we retain them? And it was really important for us to start thinking about, you know, how do we get new employees at the moment? You know, is it somebody's brother's cousin's neighbor who's coming into the business? And what can we do to widen participation, widen access? What do we do to make people aware of the insurance profession and the great career opportunities that it holds? Because you don't often hear, you know, graduates, early career people say, I'm to be an insurance professional. So our colleagues and how we were attracting the best people to come into the business was one of the strategic pillars. And of course, under these pillars, there are you know, lots of individual policies and, and, and things that, that we did. Um, the second pillar is communities. And that's really about driving social mobility through industry initiatives and specifically partnering with stakeholders who are, you know, driving change within insurance or within the wider financial services sector and who could support us to achieve our objectives, right? The, the colleagues that we want to get, how do we find them? Who has got an arm in those communities and in those schools and in those universities to get to people. So we've developed over the past you know, two, three years, a number of strategic partnerships with organizations that do work specifically with universities, with graduates and early career professionals from underrepresented and underserved backgrounds. And that's been a really important part of us developing our strategy, having partnerships. The last pillar is culture. And we've spoken a lot about culture throughout the course of, of this session, but that fundamentally is about focusing on cultivating a supportive and inclusive culture where everyone can thrive. What are some of the ways that we did that? Um, in the UK specifically, as earlier on this year, we started up an innovation committee that has an executive sponsor, but that's not the management committee talking about how we do business and how we can improve. We representatives from different functions within the business, from our technical uh, functions, from support functions. It's co-chaired by uh, someone who's in a support function. And everyone in, within the business is encouraged to put their ideas forward. And there's no idea that's too small. Sometimes it's a really small change. But if you're working with a process, you're working with a bit of technology every day, you're implementing a policy, we believe that you will be the person who is best placed to say how we can improve and how we can get better, how we can make efficiencies. 
So that culture piece, in, encouraging views, encouraging contribution was critical. And on the leadership development side, we rolled out across all of our uh, group to managers, people managers and leaders, a course called Fostering Inclusive Leadership. And the great thing about that course is that it does attack, if I can say, being inclusive as a fundamental leadership trait. It's not about more of you know a certain kind of person or a certain demographic. It's you will get the best out of your people. You'll be productive. You'll be efficient. You'll be more successful the more inclusive you can be. And those are the three pillars that we focused on. And like I say, lots of other policies and things that are un underpinning it, but that is the, the overview. I really wanted to commend you, Marcella, on the work that you've been doing at Arch. What I love about it is that you've taken a broad, long-term, complex approach to what are complex problems, right? Often I see that people are trying to find simple solutions to what are actually really complex challenges. And I think that's the first that's the first hurdle that we fall at. When we're talking about building inclusive cultures, we're talking about unpicking sometimes generations and layers of you know, culture, ways of working, uh, systems, biases, assumed behaviours, and none of that can be resolved overnight. And I really liked the way the approach that you've developed um, looks at multiple things. So leadership systems, um, processes, and, and you're combining those in what feels like a really thoughtful way. And I guess I wanted to say to listeners, when it comes to driving organisational change with diversity, equity and inclusion at the heart, it's not easy. You know, you will come up against challenge and you do need to be in it for the long run. We need leaders who are really committed to saying, yes, I understand the complexity of the problem and I'm committed to finding complex long term solutions in order to make a real and sustainable difference. And that's great. And thank you both for sharing um, different perspectives, both uh, from within our profession and, and externally. It's good to get different points of view, different perspectives to help grow and develop our own strategies and how we become more positive in terms of our equality, equity, diversity and inclusion. So turning to the festival now, did either of you manage to catch any of the diving sessions? And if you managed to, what did you take away from them? The, the session I missed that I really wanted to be part of, um, and I couldn't because of a, a, a clash with an external engagement, was the run around social mobility. Um, but I did speak to a colleague um, who attended, and I, 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 I think that's such an important conversation at the moment around social mobilities, because, you know, in all of the things that we discussed around um, DEI policy, I mm. think social mobility is one of the biggest drivers around people's access or even their awareness of certain opportunities, certain career um, uh, trajectories. And I think that focusing around the social mobility piece is going to become um, much more critical, I think much more front of mind for many industries, you know, not, not insurance, because like I said earlier, the, the social mobility piece is the one where you see that shared experience, often regardless of your demographic, right? I know in the area I grew up in, in East London, regardless of whether you were male, female, your ethnicity, we had the same, same Yeah, same, same. Sure. So I do think that social mobility is a, a great topic to continue speaking about. Oh, well, let me rephrase the question to bring Rob in. We have this diving festival. It's a festival for diversity and inclusion within insurance. Um, Rob, what are the benefits of running such a festival for our profession? 
it's so important to celebrate difference, to celebrate diversity, to celebrate the contributions that people make to the profession. And the Dive In Festival really does that. Um, it also gives us opportunities to explore diversity beyond the surface. Right, Marcel has given a really lovely example of uh, a session on social mobility, which is a, a key area that we need to explore as DNI leaders and DNI professionals. And Marcel might want to talk a little bit more to that. But when we come together and someone has put in the hard work and effort to create an interesting and creative and inspiring agenda, that's a great opportunity. Right, all of us spend our day to days heads down, focusing on the challenges in front of us, um, and it can be easy for us to miss some of the bigger trends that are going on, or to miss some of the issues which might be cropping up in our business three, six, twelve months down the line. So it's a great opportunity to come together to celebrate, to explore, and also to be challenged. When we come together with people who are different from us, it's an opportunity for our biases to be challenged, for the ways in which we see the world, and our assumptions to be challenged too, and that's really crucial. Right. Finally, where would you direct our listeners to go and find out more about ways to help build and sustain an inclusive organisation or other EDI information we have discussed today? So I'm really happy to direct people to my organisation, included.com, which has a ton of case studies you can explore. Um, but also to be really topical, we're recording this in October. Um, yesterday was World Menopause Day. And there are loads of resources online, um, which we can explore just for free and access. And actually, as a way of normalising conversations around menopause, I'd really encourage listeners to take up this challenge of speaking to six people this week about menopause. And let's just make that a really normal part of our conversation. Um, also thinking about what's going on at the moment, we're recording this on the 19th of October and today is Spirit Day, which you may or may not know, but it's really important because Spirit Day highlights the experience of bullying and harassment that many young people and teenagers from the LGBTQ community experience. And it also highlights the high incidences of suicide within that community. So a particular resource that I would encourage people to explore um, to improve their own learning and knowledge is called transactual.org.uk, which personally I found to be really helpful in raising my own understanding and confidence. So there are a couple of resources and challenges for you to explore. Marcella? Um, I am an HR professional, so I will always um, defer to the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development. They have got great resources there. ACAS, the Advisory Conciliatory and Arbitration Service, have great resources. But probably most beneficial for me in kind of understanding and navigating this journey has been in networking and speaking to others. So, you know, hearing Rob's experience as someone who's gone into different organisations and getting that perspective, which is broader than my perspective, just in financial services or insurance. Speaking to colleagues within my business, we have a great um, talent and DNI um, executive within Arch Capital Group, who I get a lot of, uh, you know, information and direction from and, you know, the, the, the person who really was instrumental in establishing the strategy that, that I spoke about today. But I just think it's really helpful to find others who are on the same journey, in the same position, navigating the same issues and hearing about some of the things that they've done. Right. Because we're all navigating this new landscape and this new place where we have to be aware where we have to be very d deliberate and intentional and practical in the changes that we make. And I think it will be a lot of kind of pulling from different people 
and different places until we get it right. And I think Rob made a point earlier on in, in, in the session that we're unpicking and unwinding many, many years of established ways of working, ideas, thinking, culture, and it's not going to be resolved and changed in the, you know, six, six months six years even, it, it's going to be progressive. And I think we just need to stay at it, keep talking, keep having the conversation and keep learning. Right. Thank you, Marcella and Rob, for joining me today on the podcast. Lovely speaking to you both. It was great to recap and expand on some of the things we covered in our dive-in session. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Vivine. Goodbye and goodbye to all of your listeners. Thank you, Vivine. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you to everyone for listening. And thank you for listening to this episode of CII Radio. To find out more, visit thejournal.cii.co.uk slash podcasts. You can catch up with our diving session and others by visiting the diving website, divingfestival.com. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.